Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. You know, folks, uh, there are a lot of um, comparisons that have been made over the years between the United States of America and uh, the ancient Rome, the Roman Republic, and later the Roman Empire and uh, there is a there are good reasons for that because those comparisons are apt and also because the founding fathers themselves uh, modeled the country that they have created in many ways after the Roman Republic and adopted uh, much of the Roman Republican imagery which you can still see today in the Senate and in other places. Um, but there, is, um, there are some aspects of this comparison that are uh, less often discussed, if ever. And one of them that's quite interesting is the fact that before Rome was a republic, it was a monarchy. So Latins were apparently these, uh, this warlike tribe uh, that entered the Italian peninsula from um, actually the Greek peninsula probably from today's Albania and they carved some space um, for themselves in the middle of the peninsula on the western side what today, in what today is called Latium and established their city Roma or as we call it in English Rome. Uh, initially uh, I'm talking about now um, quite early on, so around 1000 uh, BC and uh, around that time, the Rome was, I mean, so the city of Rome, sorry, was um, ruled by kings. And um, for centuries. But then uh, the, uh, the Roman noblemen who called themselves patricians, kind of the fathers of Rome, and the Roman middle and upper classes who called themselves plebeians decided that those kings were not really uh, doing a great job and substantially decided to get rid of them. Uh, in order to get rid of them, they had to create uh, something else, something that would supplant the monarchy in terms of uh, governing the city which was growing and acquiring more and more lands around it mostly at the expense of the Etruscans who were, who were there before the previous civilization on the Italian peninsula. So um, they did just like just like the American founding fathers um, and the American middle and upper classes decided that they no longer wanted to be ruled by the British monarchy uh, out of Britain and they had to create for themselves a new system of governance uh, so did before that uh, the Romans uh, 
and um, they kind of uh, so the, the the nobility the patricians and the plebeians kind of cut a, what today would be called the power sharing deal in which uh, the patricians would run the show but with the consent of elected representatives of the plebeians and the plebeians could withhold their consent in which case the patricians would have to change course and do something different that would be acceptable to the plebeians now this this thing of this this idea of governing this idea of dealing with public matters was utterly odious to romans both the patricians and the plebeians and they called it dismissively the res publica the public thing it's kind of how today we would say ah oh, it's you know it's that thing it's 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 that you know that cleaning the bathroom thing it's it's like it's that thing where i have to do the, do my trip report after i went to you know on on a, on a on a on a trip somewhere for my for my company they thought it was much much less interesting than what they and rewarding than what they could do and did in their private lives the res publica and out of these two words these two words res publica the public thing came the name that uh, we gave their uh, system of governance the republic that s is still preserved in some languages for example in russian we say respublica much closer to the original latin uh, so this public thing was done by romans uh, on a temporary basis in between other occupations and there are echoes of that from how they lived their lives and how they kind of scheduled their day they dealt with all the public matters with all the res publica uh, before noon and afternoon they uh, took a long bath and then had a very long meal uh, midday meal called the Senna or, or, or as the Romans would say the Kenna and um, and during that meal and the bath the real business of the Republic was discussed uh, and also there was entertainment of various kinds as you can imagine uh, and after the Kenna uh, in the early evening hours the Romans retired to their family compounds and spent time with their wives and children and also on their uh, private business so the time you can see from the time that they allotted to the public business that it wasn't that much and I kind of did it reluctantly but just like in America uh, later uh, as Rome became more and more powerful and more and more wealthy the riches that were involved the riches that were governed out of Rome the power that resided in Rome made any people made many Romans kind of rethink whether their private lives were indeed more rewarding than the public ones 
and many of them have decided that where the real power and the real money lay was not in the private sphere but in the public sphere and that's how Rome became uh, a kind of a centrally ruled empire uh, governed by a permanent ruling class just as it happened in America in the past oh century or so uh, and the plebeians continued to vote but their votes just like in America today mattered for nothing there is one thing though that is important to understand about this concept of a republic the concept of a republic rests entirely on the existence of empowered individuals I'm, I'm talking about people in that time at that time only men who held property who had skin in the game who were literate and who had um, a good degree of education and knowledge of world affairs and history those men and only those men could vote and they could devote time to thinking about how to vote the reason they could do that was because the majority of the people were slaves indentured servants various uh, migratory workers and so on who did the hard work of construction uh, planting and uh, harvesting crops cleaning uh, toilets preparing meals and so on and these people uh, could not vote and the idea that they would participate in the governance governance of the country would have been laughable to any Roman whether patrician or plebeian now what has what happened in the West was that this idea of a Republican style uh, democracy lived for a while in places like England, America, and various British colonies under the same kind of auspices where the people voting were substantially uh, reasonably wealthy men who could devote time to education, to being abreast of world events and the events in their communities and thus could make informed choices and uh, being property owners having money and so on these, these choices that they made they knew would directly affect them in other words they could be worse off if they made the wrong choice well as the European democracy and uh, the American democracy evolved and as uh, the world underwent a, uh, the Industrial Revolution in the mid-19th century, more and more people uh, seized being these independent individuals who lived on small farms and so on and became factory workers, kind of wage slaves in, in a sense. And after putting in long hours in a coal mine or uh, an automobile factory or a textile mill, 
these people had no way of, of keeping themselves informed, educated, and so on. And thus, more and more people began uh, voting in a way that was uninformed, and also more and more people who voted had literally no skin in the game because they had nothing to lose. People like Karl Marx uh, understood that there was this sea of humanity that was not comprised anymore of individuals who were uh, independent, but rather was this amorphous blob of humans. And they figured out that the only way these, this assemblage of uninformed and uneducated and unimportant human beings could make a difference is if they banded together in groups. And that's the basic idea of socialism. So socialism is a dictatorship of the mob, of an uninformed mob of people who as individuals don't amount to much or count for much. And, you know, socialism split into various um, parts. So, for example, there's the Soviet socialism of the USSR and China, where people who float to the top are these gray apparatchiks, kind of like in the US union bosses, people who don't know how to do their jobs, but float to the top like scum on pond, you know, like this pond scum that somehow always finds its way, finds its way to the top and that's how these people become bosses of councils by the way soviet in russian soviet just means council like a city council a union council and so on. the other type of socialism that is now prevalent in europe and so on democratic socialism gives at least a pretense of uh, voting, in other words, of electing the people that float to the top of these socialist societies, uh, though in reality the people that do so, the people that stand for elections and get elected, are lazy and prefer not to do work rather and rather just um, outsource it to career deep staters, so-called specialists, uh, whom they protect from you know, every possible harm that could come to come to them, they create this ruling class we call the deep state. So social, social democracies are, in fact, uh, deep state dictatorships. And then we had this um, experiment in mid-20th century with nationalsozialismus, as they say in German, with national socialism in which this idea of the of a collective of brain brainwashed uninformed people this blob or this blobby mob uh, was excited and made hysterical by spurious notions of national supremacy um, america now America has ceased to be a republic uh, a long time ago. It's a process that has been la that has been going on for uh, over a century now, but 
uh, in the past 20 or 30 years, definitely it, uh, America completed its journey from a republic where informed, educated individuals voted uh, to represent their individual interests to a kind of a social deep state dictatorship in which uh, power, you know, major power interests like now the tech uh, oligarchs and so on uh, spend money, the industrial military complex and so on, spend money to manipulate this uh, mindless uh, blob of people and uh, uh, most recently right now we see a kind of a shift to more of the kind of national uh, hysterical socialism driven by Black Lives Matter which is quickly morphing into a legitimate Nazi organization meaning national uh, like in German uh, who whip up uh, those people who are people of color and, and their uh, white um, enablers into a kind of a hysteria that is not far removed from the hysteria that Hitler whipped up in the Germans in the 1930s and the hysteria that the Bolsheviks whipped up in the Russian poor uh, farmers and factory workers in the 19 uh, in 1917 and 80. so with this we're going to uh, end this segment and we'll continue in the next segment on the same topic stay put hello this is lieutenant randy sutton the host of blue lives radio the voice of american law enforcement i am a 34-year police veteran i am also the founder and ceo of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Welcome back to, to the show, folks. Um, so in the previous segment, we talked um, about the difference between the various types of socialism, democratic socialism, Soviet socialism, and uh, national socialism, and the idea of a republic, and how, unfortunately, the republic um, concept has disappeared from our lives uh, and probably will not return anytime soon. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to where America is today and connected to the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, talk about what it means to every one of us and what kind of choices uh, we have to start thinking about and making in order not only to thrive but even to survive. You see when I first conceived of this show, Choose to be Free, 
I was thinking that we had enough time for me to talk about the kind of choices we can make in order to retain our freedom, maybe regain it. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, events have kind of overtaken us. And I think at this point, we have to start thinking about survival. And I'm talking about actual physical survival, without which, obviously, there can be no freedom. So as, if, as these events unfold, we have to stay with them. So what is happening in America? America has gone, America has followed uh, in the steps of the Roman Empire, and I'm not the first uh, by any stretch of the imagination to uh, you know, mention this, it's not a, hardly an original thought, but just like ancient Rome, as America became more and more powerful and uh, richer, and as its influence uh, expanded beyond its borders, and it became, in a sense, an empire, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, conquering the West from um, indigenous tribes or conquering territories from Spain or France. I'm talking about projecting influence towards South America, Western Europe, um, parts of the Pacific like Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and so on, uh, Philippines. So as America became uh, substantially an empire, a trading empire, just like uh, its predecessor Britain used to be, uh, it became uh, exceedingly rich from those imperial uh, possessions or protectorates. And uh, its republican spirit and its uh, the freedom that it gave to its uh, citizens its free enterprise system allowed for the creation of unheard of prosperity, but it also created incentives for people at the top levels of government to steal massively and to manipulate markets and policies in such a way that would benefit them personally. So all of a sudden, this res publica, the public thing, uh, stopped being a kind of voluntary engagement which had opportunity costs. In other words, you could do something better in your private life, but you volunteered your time, even though you had a high opportunity cost to do the public thing. It, it, it kind of flipped completely diametrically opposite and it became much more lucrative to be in government than to be in private business. And as a result of that, um, we, we have what we see now, which is uh, Congress people and, and so on who become, who, have, who would have never amounted to anything in, in private business and private life, become multimillionaires with tens and hundreds of millions of dollars because of insider trading and even direct bribes and influence peddling um, and uh, then you have uh, a series of legislation that passed in the 1960s that 
created this uh, ruling class of bureaucrats, which we call today the deep state. And these are people who can never be fired from their jobs, even if they don't do absolutely anything. Uh, they have all the perks in the world. They have very good salaries, but then they can also take early retirement and convert their regulatory experience into a business of how to subvert those regulations, which is what most of them do. And then they can become even richer. So government service stopped being a service of any kind. It became a scheme for enriching those who engage in it. And so America completed its turn to becoming substantially uh, an imperial entity. And uh, the only difference between the two parties, the Republican and the Democratic Party, was that uh, the Republican Party represented the interests of certain elites and the Democratic Party represented the interests of other elites. That's the only difference. Uh, and then after, uh, you know, in, in the past about, since 9-11, let's say, uh, between the Bushes, the Clintons, and Obama, what has happened is that both the Republicans and the Democrats began representing the interests of the same exact elites. Uh, and so elections became uh, a total sham in America, and we can see that with how Supreme Court justices uh, vote on cases, and we can see that in the Republican senators who do not vote uh, conservative uh, in, under any circumstances anymore, and so on. So basically we have, America has an imperial elite kind of a government, uh, or, or an imperial deep state government that takes care of its uh, elites and shafts the people. That's just the bottom line of how things are right now. But as they say in infomercials, wait, there is more. What has been happening lately, uh, just in the past, um, I guess, few months, uh, and that, that's related to the election of President Trump, who kind of uh, tried, tried to return some of the power to regular Americans. What we see is the American elites uh, and the representatives in government revolting against this idea of uh, ceding back some power to regular Americans and staging first a coup d'etat and now a full-blown revolution. Now, revolutions uh, of this kind that we're looking at here in America, that we're experiencing, are based on uh, or are uh, founded upon the fostering of uh, hysterics, hysteria among the population, or in the population. And that's what's happening in America. They, um, this uh, Black Lives Matter movement, which is like the brown shirts of the American elites, are fostering within America um, a racial hysteria uh, upon which, or which is a vehicle, for the introduction to America of a kind of national socialism. In other words, 
they want to institute in America a kind of a Nazi regime. Now, you know, when you talk about nationalism, you have to ask yourself, you know, what nation are we talking about here, right? Because, you know, in Germany it was the Germans, in Italy it was the Italians, and, you know, in, in Spain it was the Spaniards, but in, in America, you know, you could say, following this, you could say, well, I guess in America it would be Americans, the American nation. Uh, but that wouldn't be true. The nation that uh, we're talking about here is a nation of, a kind of a new nation that they're cobbling together as they go along. And this nation has various names and if you misname it you can get cancelled or and all kinds of really bad stuff can befall you so I have to be careful here myself. But I'm going to just use a name that they themselves like and I hope, I'm hoping that that would be fine. So we're talking about the nation of POC, of persons or people of color. So what is happening here is that in America these forces of um, enslavement, these Nazi elements, have uh, they're trying to do something that wasn't done before, which is create a nation, and as they're creating it, uh, have it become supreme under this idea of national socialismus. So they're they're creating this nation of POC, and. Uh, it's, a, it's the interesting part about the, the POC nation is what it takes to belong to it or how it defines itself. Once again, it's pretty clear who were the Germans in 1930s, Italians and Spaniards and so on. But in America, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, so it, 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 it requires further analysis. So, who is POC? The, the nation of POC is defined not so much by uh, affirmation as by negation. POC are not white. So, if you are, if your skin color is white, even if you're Jewish like me, you're not POC. But if your skin color is kind of slightly not white, you can be POC. And if there is any doubt and you really want to be POC, the one thing you can do to make sure that you are is accept Islam. In other words, uh, make yourself into a Muslim. Why? Because Islam is the national religion of the POC nation. Okay, you know, one of the things that the American founding fathers were quite adamant about is that the American government would not establish a religion, a new religion, or uh, make uh, regulations and laws and so on that prefer uh, any kind of established religion over another kind of established, established religion. 
but of course the the nation of POC is not bound by that so they have established uh, a national religion that is preferred to all others and and that religion is Islam so um, what we're now seeing in America is uh, a Nazi uh, style revolution uh, with Bolshevik elements, yes, but substantially it's a Nazi revolution by uh, or a Nazi takeover of the American institutions by this nation of POC with its uh, official religion, Islam. And so far, uh, this revolution is going quite well for them. Uh, they have many supporters among whites who would never, who will never be accepted into their nation and therefore will be uh, enslaved, exterminated, or whatever it is that Nazis do to those who don't belong to their, to their national. <laughs> um, but of course they don't know it or they don't understand it, so they support it out of feelings of guilt or I, I, I'm, I have a hard time understanding people who grovel, who kiss, or lick other people's boots. So I'm going to beg your forgive, forgiveness, forgiveness for not analyzing how people can ever do that. I can never understand it. And yet, you know, from quarterbacks like uh, Brad Favre to or Favre to uh, I mean uh, police captains and you name it, they're all. Uh, non-POC people, they all prostrate themselves and lick boots and kiss the pavement or whatever the heck else they do. So the situation in America is that uh, uh, we are under a uh, Nazi uh, revolutionary movement that's being very successful and encountering very little resistance. And the people who support President Trump, instead of understanding this monumental strategic event and addressing it with equally monumental strategic initiatives, are mostly engaged in arguing about tactics. So some people say, you know, we should we should get those statue defilers and whatnot and uh, city block occupiers and we should act forcefully against them. Other people who are on the our side, the the, the let, let's call it the President Trump side, say, oh no no, let this temper tantrum take its course, let it all uh, let them burn whatever they burn and then they learn a, their lesson. And in any case, that's helpful for us in the fall election. But what I'm saying is that both of these are utterly irrelevant because these are tactics and rather than strategy and they don't recognize either one of those approaches, neither one of those approaches recognizes what is really happening, which is that America is substantially finished. And the reason I say that is because, think about this for a second. Those people who are uh, tearing down the statues, forget about the Confederate and all of that, that's just a, an excuse and we're already long past that. I mean, those people who pulled down, you know, George Washington, and 
the New York Museum of uh, Natural History uh, taking away the statue of one of the greatest American presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, who is on Mount Rushmore. And, you know, all of that. Kind of, do you really believe that these people can ever somehow become again productive, positive members of a republic called the United States of America? I mean, can that ever happen? And I think the answer should be obvious. Uh, it cannot happen. These people will, will never, regardless of what happens in the short term, and regardless what tactics are employed against them, these people are not Americans how, in how people thought of as being American. It's gone. It's finished. That's just a fact. So in the next segment, we will discuss what that really means. Spreading the out-loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. There is no more what used to be called the United States of America. Uh, and I say it with a deep sorrow, deep sorrow, because the United States of America, even though I was born in the USSR and lived most of my life in Israel, America has always been a shining beacon in my life, even before I ever first set foot there. It was always such a force for good, such a comfort. I mean, you could be in the Soviet Union and people routinely would, you know, get their shortwave radios, which for a while were banned and were difficult to get a hold of. And they would try to, find, to somehow overcome the jamming that the Soviets did to jam the voice of America and... Um, broadcasts and they would try to tune in and you know the existence of that country that was free was just such a 
unbelievable comfort for people who themselves were enslaved. So the fact that America has fallen and really only outlived its great adversary, the, the uh, Soviet Union, the USSR, by about 30 years, only three decades, um, is incredibly sad. But sad or not, facts are facts. Uh, when you look at what's happening in American cities today, um, you can clearly see that there is no recovering from that. It's, it's not coming back, folks. I mean, if you don't believe me, then ask yourselves, okay, all these statues that were defiled, removed, I mean, I'm talking about lawfully, like in the case of that uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt statue in, in New York uh, Museum of Natural History, or unlawful, unlawfully, uh, like all these other statues. Ask yourself, if, do you think that they're ever coming back? Okay. Do you think they're ever coming back? Do you think that there will ever be a time in America again when blacks and whites experience anything like equal justice? I mean, right now in America, if you're black, you can commit any crime. As long as you say that somebody called you the N-word or whatever, whether true or not, you get, get off scot-free, right? On the other hand, if you're white, Good luck with that. If you're Muslim, regardless of your skin color, kind of, you can do whatever the heck you want. If you're Christian or Jewish, you can do nothing. Certainly not anything illegal, which would be fine by me, except all these other people can do totally illegal stuff with zero repercussions. Not even a slap on the wrist, not even an arrest, not even a booking, nothing. Do you see that ever changing? Even if President Trump gets reelected, which to me is a, a big question mark, because mostly because of fraud, do you really see those trends reversing themselves? This has not to do with politics. And actually this show, uh, the show Choose to be Free, I don't want to make it about politics because there are so many shows that talk about politics and because politics is not what's important now in America. We are beyond that. The American Republic cannot be saved by politics. It's gone. It's gone. Okay, and there, there's, a, there's a deep-seated reason for that. The American Republic was a collective of empowered individuals who had a common purpose, a commonality of purpose, a commonality of language, a commonality of belief in the American Constitution, and even a commonality of belief in Jesus Christ. That's, that was very important. That is gone, folks. It's not, it's not coming back. And you cannot build a public thing with a collection, with a collection of people like we have today in America who share next to nothing, if not actually nothing. I mean, let me, let me ask you, my listeners, what do you have in common with people who loot, who uh, topple statues, who go into restaurants and twerk 
their behinds in, 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 in people's faces and young children's faces just because they can, because they're black? What, what do you have in common with these people? Whether you're black or white, I'm hoping that I have, a, you know, many blacks in my audience. This ends up with skin color. But unfortunately, we see on, 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 on those in that nation, that POC nation, I think it hijacked that black identity. And, and, and I think it's horrible for African-Americans. Horrible. It's horrible for every American including African-Americans, but that's where, that's where we're at right now. So, um, what do we do? What do we do? Well, you know, Jews <laughs> have a long history of surviving and also not surviving. You can say our nation miraculously survived close to 2,000 years in the diaspora without losing its identity, but the truth is that the minority survived and that was true even before the Holocaust, let alone after. Most people did not survive. They were either uh, slaughtered or forced to assimilate or like in America today, chose to assimilate because it was more expedient, easier, more financially rewarding or for whatever other reason. So Jews are you know, not exactly a shining example of survival, and yet we did manage to somehow survive against all odds, at least the minority of us did. And those who survived um, do have something in common, and that is making the right choices, even though very difficult ones, at the right time. And I'll give you an example from uh, my own family history, okay? Um, an example of a right choice, an example of the wrong choice. So in 19, in the June, in June of uh, 1941, actually today, June 22nd of, of 1941, so there's kind of a sad anniversary um, I mean, when I say today, I mean when I'm recording this show. Um, Germans uh, who up until then were allied with the Soviet Union attacked. It. And because Stalin didn't anticipate that attack, the so and for other reasons as well, the Soviet military, all they did for the first year or so was run away. And so Germans occupied, occupied vast swaths of, very quickly, within weeks, of Western Soviet Union, where most of the Soviet Jews resided. So I'm talking about Ukraine, Belarus, uh, Moldova, and so on. The Soviets, recognizing that Jews were be, would be exterminated, provided a, ways, a way for them to evacuate to eastern parts of the of the Soviet Union, to uh, Central Asia, to places like Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, and so on. It was voluntary, very hastily arranged. You basically had to abandon everything, take whatever you could carry, and get on the train, like now, right now. And 
uh, luckily for me, I guess, both of my grandmothers chose to do that. Their, their, their husbands were at the front, soon to be killed. They had my baby father and my baby mother in arms, and they took the Bolsheviks up on their offer and got on that train, and off they went to Uzbekistan. But then there was a guy who later became my step-grandfather, who at this time was already in his 40s, and so he was too old to have been conscripted to the Soviet military, to the Red Army. But he, and he had two teenage boys who were just too young, something like 15 and 16. And he had a beautiful wife by the name of Chaya, which by the way means somebody who lives, and his name was Ephraim. Interestingly enough, he also had a Gentile lover who lived on a small, in a small village outside of that uh, Jewish little town that were majority were Jews in Ukraine. He was a soldier, this Ephraim, my, my uh, future step-grandfather, he was a soldier in the imperial army of the Tsar during the First World War when he was 18 years old. And as such, he spent some time on the front lines opposite some German troops. And the way uh, First World War went is in between slaughtering each other and doing these uh, charges into um, you know, machine gun fire, the soldiers opposite, be it French, English, Russian, German, and so on, often talk to each other and exchange things like cigarettes and so on. And so he actually had experience with Germans and speaking, knowing how to speak Yiddish, which is substantially German, he could talk to them much better than his non-Jewish Russian comrades. So when he heard rumors that the Germans were slaughtering Jews, he said, ah, you know, that can't be true. The Germans are nice guys. And he chose not to evacuate himself and his family. When the Germans were on the outskirts of that town, outskirts of that town, it became clear to him that he placed, to put it mildly, a very wrong bet. So he left his wife and two teenage sons at home and hightailed it to hide in the hayloft of his gentile lover. A few days passed and the Germans put out leaflets as they, as they, as they would, would do, telling all the Jews to assemble in the town square and this guy Ephraim got wind of it, so he left the hayloft and kind of mingled with the crowd of Gentiles, looking at the Jews assembled in the crowd in, in the town uh, square. He recognized his wife and his two teenage sons and saw them being shot at close range by the Germans together with the rest of the Jews. Then he returned to his hayloft and spent the rest of the war there. After which, when my grandmother, who he didn't know, came back from evacuation, he met her and they got married and he became my step-grandfather and he was a very good guy.
though definitely with what we today would call PTSD. And you can imagine. He made the wrong choice at the wrong time and his family paid for it and he paid for it uh, with everything. Uh, to counter uh, pose um, this uh, example, to provide a counter example, I'll tell you a little bit about my father, who in 1973, when the Soviet Union was supposed to be at the height of its power, decided that that whole country was based on lies and wouldn't last. And in any case, Jews had, not, had no place there, so he would apply to leave and to take us to Israel. And he did. And everybody, his, his own sister, his, his own mother, told him that he was crazy. By the time it, it was time for us to leave was the Yom Kippur War, which the Soviet propaganda presented as being disastrous to Israel, and it very nearly was. And so he was told by his sister, by his mother, that he was absolutely crazy for taking his family, his wife, and his 10-year-old son, myself, out of that great country to this, you know, little country that was barely hanging to its existence and all of that. Well, less than 20 years later, the Soviet Union collapsed. There was nothing to eat. And his sister, his mother, his, nep uh, his uh, nephew, we're all uh, on, our, on the front por porch of my parents' nice villa in the Galilee, begging for help. So my father, because he could see what the future would bring, he could, and there was an opportunity to act, acted, and substantially saved my life, at least in, a, in every sense, but maybe the literal one. And it wasn't easy. So folks, we live in times where you have to start thinking that way. You, my listeners, have to start thinking along those lines. Do not ignore what you see in the news. This is not a temper tantrum by some uninformed people. The United States, as the country you were born in, in is gone. Do not let that latent image that has not to do with reality guide your actions. Update your software. Okay. Uh, look around you. Look at those people that are committing these acts and ask yourself, can you be safe around them? When it's going to be your turn to be on the receiving end of their violence and what will happen to the country as a whole. Nobody knows what will happen, but you may start thinking what you can do now that you may not do in the may not be able to do in the near future. To guarantee the survival, let alone the freedom, of yourself and your family. And I'm not talking about buying another gun or another can of beans, okay? 
I'm talking about things like relocating your family. I'm talking about things like picking up a new skill. Okay? That, that was, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking behind the curtains and trying to see where can I go that would be a safer place for myself and my family. What do I need to have with me to be able to make that move? Do not procrastinate. You will regret it. Anyway, we have to end here. And I'll see you next time on Choose to be Free.